Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Spotlight Podcast. My name is Wojciech Domagalski. I'm your host, and welcome to the second episode. Today, we have a special guest, J-Mo. Thanks for coming here. Yeah, so excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, so Jay is a 19-year-old product designer, front-end developer uh, based out of Seoul, South Korea. Uh, he's currently an intern at Inspirit and uh, can you talk about what Inspirit is and sure. what sure, are you great. doing there? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, if you go to our website right now, it's not the clearest on what we do. But um, so right now we're building our product. It's called Sundial. And um, essentially, we're building a data science product where we saw a lot of current companies. They're doing a lot of data science work, but a lot of the work that they've done is already being done at other companies. It's already been done. We're trying to automate that and make it easy for a lot of other people. And so that's what I'm doing at Inspirit. Okay, so how long have you been working there for? Yeah, so I guess post-COVID, the timelines have been a little bit messy, but yeah. officially I started around late May. So I think it's been about four months or so, which sounds really mm -hmm. crazy. It's been, it's been a blast. So it was your like a goal for quite some time, right? You have this company on your radar mm -hmm. or was it just like you found it on Twitter and like, yeah, that, that's a cool company to, to work for. Yeah. So I think the process, if I, you know, I recall the process to actually, um, finding a place at Inspirit, it took, it was quite a journey. Um, I was looking for a very specific traits in a company that I wanted to work for the requirements were a little bit hard to match. I was looking for a company where I want to learn. I, so just to explain some context, previously I worked for a lot of early stage startups, which was great for me in that I was doing a lot of work, a lot of production work, given a lot of responsibilities. But the problem there was that um, I did not have too many senior design figures that I could work in pairs, get a lot of feedback from and grow with. So one of my first requirements was I wanted to find a team where I could get that kind of guidance. Um, and a lot of this comes from a lot of bigger, larger corporations, but I want to work. At, I still want to work on a very small team. I still wanted to get that experience of being very hands-on in terms of producing work that really impacted or had positive influence over the company. So having those two requirements, one being the senior design figure, two being a smaller team. And the third, ideally I would want it to work for, I want to work for a product or a company that I really believed in. And so. You know, there's a limited set of companies there, but um, for Inspirit, yeah. I think um, I look back four or five years ago when I first learned about what design is, what product design is about. And I really looked up to Julie Zhu. Formerly, she mm -hmm. was back then at Facebook. She was leading design there. She was the vice president of design. And I read a lot of her articles, watched a lot of talks, which really inspired me to become a designer. And... Earlier this year, she recently left Facebook, started this company called Inspirit. So it's always been something that I knew about because I was following her. I think it was bigger news on okay. Design Twitter as well. So that's how I learned about it, cold emailed her, and somehow now I'm here and it's been a huge blessing. Yeah, that sounds really good. And so, uh, and also you're working on Pixar. Uh, I have seen that on your uh, website to get like, mm. 150 million, right? Monthly active users. 
Yeah, so Pixar is surprisingly a really big company. I think in Korea, especially, not too many people use it. But yeah, Pixar is at a similar scale there. And um, within Spirit, we've been doing a project with Pixar. Oh, okay. But Pixar is like a what is that? It's like a service for. It's a it's a, essential essentially a photo video video editing app, more on the photo end. I think that's a okay. simplest explanation. Okay, but I think the two companies are like very, very different. Like sure. what you do is very different, right? Sure. Because the first one is like a firm that you uh, basically do work for other companies and picks out this like a yeah. product, right? Yeah. So I think it's essentially, I think maybe I didn't do the best job of explaining in the spirit, but I think you can kind of look at it in two parts. The first is we're building our product. And while we're building that product, that data science product, we're helping a lot mm -hmm. of other companies to try to really understand how they're working, how they treat data. And one of, this one of the companies I'm working with is Pixar. And um, I was helping with design there recently. We put off the project into engineering, so it's been really, really exciting. Okay, so when did you start working at, at Pixar? Yeah, so I think with Inspirit, the moment I started, we were working. It was um, the start was with Pixar. So under Julie, I okay. was working yeah, with the team at Pixar. Okay, so uh, so right now you are living in Seoul, right? Yes, I'm in Seoul, Korea. And uh, how is life there? How long have you been there? And yeah. uh, what's your goal there is? Yeah, so just months ago, I was in New Jersey, United States. That's where I spent a lot of my early years, <laughs> early years. Um, I was there for okay. almost 10 years and I went to middle school, high school there even college or part of college. And um, even so back in late May, when I started for Inspirit, I was just in my room, all of us post COVID era. Um, I was just in my room, just working remotely. And um, that went on for many, many weeks and went for a couple of months. And um, I found it very challenging. I think the work I was doing, I really, really wanted to do really well. I really, it's, you know, product design, I really enjoy doing it. But um, I think design, you're often creating output. I think even people mm. who write code, a lot of jobs, you're creating output. And without a lot of input, I found that creation, that process of creating output was really, really hard. As in, I'm told to design things, but then the only thing that's kind of I'm learning through or having inputs were just on the internet where I wasn't talking to anybody um, person in person. I think that's the case for all of us. Um, to talk to someone, you have to be very intentional. You have to call them up with a specific agenda. Otherwise, a lot of people that you're not close with, they're not going to get on a call with you. And so, you know, I was figuring out figuring out options. I was thinking about, oh, hey, maybe um, I think large, I um, told you about this. Um, there was this D house initiative where I wanted to open up a house and have mm -hmm. a lot of um, young creators live together who were in similar situations. But in the end, through a long process of trying to figure out where to go, I decided to move back to Seoul, which is where I was born. And I thought it would be great for about two, three reasons. The first is that, um, I mean, it's a language. I, like, I speak Korean fluently. It's, a, okay. it's a region that I'm familiar with. I spent my part of my elementary school here, if that counts as being familiar. Um, I knew that um, there were a lot of designers and creators in Korea. The tech scene here is really growing fast. I wasn't so informed. So that's a part of that agenda was I really wanted to get to know 
I really wanted to get to know about that industry and the state of how everything was going. And then the last part was I thought it'd be um, be different that I would actually be able to go out, walk around. I think the coronavirus situation here is just much better than the U.S. I think that kind of yeah. can substitute that for a lot of places. But um, yeah, so that's how I ended up here. Okay, so yeah, you mentioned that design community in your college, right? It was called yeah. it was called Rutgers, mm -hmm. or and yeah. what happened to that? Is it like ended, or are you still yeah. continuing it? Yeah, thanks for asking that question. It's been an incredible journey. When I first started at Rutgers a year ago, so I interned in as a freshman, that agenda for me was very dreadful. I had to go because my parents were out of the dice go to college. I mm. didn't want to go to Rutgers because, you know, in high school, I was, I was designing in high school. Um, I was already interning. I was working on a lot of contract jobs, but around me, around my friends, there were not that many people who are like, oh, product design is like my passion, right? I mean, like in yeah. school, like, who, who, who has that kind of exposure or like that kind of conviction, right? Very under, understandably so. And so I, and, um, you know, that's just a situation, but I found that to be very lonely and very hard where it's like, I felt design is very collaborative by nature or yeah. it should be as in, I think that the best work comes when a lot of people are, you know, talking about it, you know, really pushing each other. Whereas for me, it really felt like I was just alone. And I guess that's just in the physical space on the internet. I got a lot of help from other people, but I, in the, in the agenda and the thought of going to college, I wanted to go to a place that was a little bit different from high school because I already knew what that was like. I wanted to go to a place where there were a lot of designers or at least an appreciation for design and a culture mm -hmm. for, and Rutgers, I believe in my head or in my understanding was not that kind of place where yes, there was sort of like an art department or art college within Rutgers university, but there was not that much initiatives for product design or many product designers at the school. And so I dreaded going to it. I went to it because I was under a guaranteed transfer to another university that I believed would have that situation, which was Georgia Tech, which I'll be going to. But mm -hmm. uh, I went to Rutgers for a year with that kind of agenda. And um, at first I was very, um, I dreaded it. I was like, oh no, there are no designers here. I'm alone again. I found it very hard. It was very yeah. um, demotivating, but um, through a year, I think, as designers, as creators, naturally, when we see a problem, we have a tendency to do something about it. It took me some time, but eventually we found people, people who really, really liked designing or people who want to get into it. And right now it's been a huge growth in the organization. I think there's, um, we have this discord server, there's like more than a hundred people in it. Um, a lot of really active people, dozens of active people. And, um, it's been, it's been amazing to see what's come out of it. Okay, so you are continuing uh, the Young Designers community at Rutgers, right? Mm -hmm. To expand on my education background, I think I was very fortunate in that the high school I went to was very specialized. It was called Burn County Academies. And just like the name, we mm -hmm. you were kind of placed in an academy. There were seven academies, I believe, one of it being science or performance arts, that type of um, separation. And... Um, I was in computer science. So naturally through the four years of high school, I was so really fortunate to be surrounded by about 20 to 30 kids who were very much in the computer science space, who were interested in programming, making things. And um, 
I think the really big benefit of that is that then you kind of get a culture of hackers, as in, I believe Bergen County Academies was one of the first high school hackathons in the world. And so okay. that created a great exposure where we had a lot of people coming in, a lot of high schoolers coming in from the region who were creators that I had no idea about who just, you know, rushed to our school and I get to meet a lot of them. And so that was, was really fantastic. And like one, getting to meet people two, getting some sort of computer science background right from high school. And so at Rutgers university, you know, as I just explained, I was like, oh no, I don't want to come to this place. They didn't have anything that I want, you know, I wasn't sure what I wanted to study in particular. There wasn't nothing that was explicitly tailored towards product design. And so naturally I just applied and got into the computer science course and I was going through that track. Um, so and, the, the high school experience and uh, data science, uh, I guess, studying was a valuable, right, experience to you? Yeah, I don't think I got to study too much data science in high school, right? I think that was just something that's more, or even formally, I think that's just much, uh, I don't even know schools teach it actually, but um, that's yeah. something that I studied more on my own agenda. And um, mm. now, right now I'm currently an incoming student to Georgia Tech, which is a much more exciting agenda. I am, I'll be majoring in this major called computational media. It's not a major that exists in a lot of places, but I think the way I describe it is that it's kind of like computer science, interaction design, psychology kind of put into one. So I think that's a much, um, that's a very exciting agenda. I'm very curious to check out how a formal institution will teach it. Yeah, I like how the, the education system looks like in the US because in Poland, uh, we have primary school, obviously, which is like a seven to 14 years old. And then you go to uh, junior high, which is like 13 to 16. Mm -hmm. Then you have high school, uh, yeah, 16 to 19. And like all of these levels are very general so that you learn yeah. pretty much everything, physics, like mm -hmm. all the languages. Uh, you don't really get to uh, learn very specific, yeah, specialized uh, stuff and so. Yeah. Actually, I'm starting uh, college this year mm -hmm. uh, and I am still debating between like computer science uh, and like telecommunications and electronics. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, I'll be studying in Krakow, so still mm -hmm. in living at home, not moving out Got this it. year. Got it. But yeah, like the specializations, is that a word? Mm -hmm. I think so. Uh, start from the age like 20 years old. And sure, sure. actually college in Poland is only three and a half years. And so I'm not sure if uh, I'll learn any like practical things that will actually make me valuable in, you know, modern uh, technology world. And so how do you feel about that? Has, do you think like college and, and the formal education system actually prefers uh, students for, you know, modern day challenges and sure. practical work? Sure. I think the first thing I'm so excited for you, I think college is, it's been interesting to say the least. I mean, I think some people say it's really fun. Some people say it's very helpful, interesting to say the least. And I'm so excited for you for that chapter and, um, I think that's a question that is that a lot of smart people are thinking about as in with yeah. education, right? 
and I, maybe I'm not the best person to answer, but from my own experiences, I think, you know, I was just explaining that the, um, I guess I'm a little, I'm a case where it's like the specialization happened a little bit earlier, as in I kind of knew what I wanted to do a little mm -hmm. earlier as well. In high school, I got to study a lot about computer science and get a lot of exposure in that topic. And now at Georgia Tech or incoming at Georgia Tech, there's a lot of um, a lot of things that, you know, it's, it's a very specifically tailored track, right? It's a computer science, interaction design, and like psychology. That's very um, yeah. specifically, I think those are kind of the things that maybe a product designer might want to draw from. But, um, and I think while I was, um, yeah, I think there was a lot of frustration at Rutgers when I was just studying a lot of general core requirement classes. So like English, where I was writing essays or physics, yeah. where I was, you know, solving all these physics problems, like, like you said, um, there was not too much um, specialization while I was at Rutgers. And that's something that really frustrated me. But I kind of look back and I kind of think about why I was frustrated, what I was trying to get out of it. And now I kind of have a newfound appreciation for it. I think that maybe this is actually, I'm in a very privileged position to say this. Maybe this doesn't actually apply to all of the fields, but at least for product design, I think there's a couple of things that kind of um, make specialization maybe not as valuable as other fields from my point of view, from my experiences. The first thing is that I think that product design is actually not very well taught in many, many institutions, if any. And that's a very, that's a little bit of a bold statement. But when we look at the field or just like the status quo of product design, it's been evolving very rapidly, very quickly, like technology, but design, product design is something that's, or at least digital product design, that's what we're talking about here. It's something that's really, really new relatively. As in, we look back 10 years at the state of product design and the conversations that are happening back then and now, it's completely different. Even five years ago, you look at a lot of things and there's a lot of evolution that's, that has happened. So from a traditional institution standpoint, I think that's very, very hard for them to catch up with it. And at this point, I'm as with my agenda of going to Georgia Tech, I've kind of lowered down my expectation and thinking like, okay, like maybe design is like product design is not something that I should really fully expect the institution to teach me and prepare me for the real industry. Because even in the industry, it's like you have to do just so much work to catch up to what standards are. And so while I was at Rutgers, I was taking all these classes. And I think a lot of these side classes, I actually found a lot of value and inspiration from. And what I mean by this is that I think that um, when we look at design and we take classes like, for example, psychology, we're trying to understand how humans think, behave. That's super valuable. Or when we think about English and writing essays, I think a lot of design is about communication, right? Nowadays, I think as we develop our understanding and our experiences more with product design, topics that become bigger, like for example, copywriting, right? Language mm -hmm. is a huge part of actual user experience. Or, or even like if you were to, um, if you worked on a project, right? I think a lot of, for a lot of junior designers right now, they might be working on case studies where they need to talk about the process, explain their thoughts, how intentional they were about certain decisions. And writing comes into a really big play in just everything, right? Because you're just communicating. Or even I think the class I enjoyed the most was physics. I hated it and enjoyed it the most because <laughs> it was very rigorous, but at the same time, a lot of things I learned, right? Even let's say like the way a spring works and the force force functions of a spring, yeah. 
right? I think when we look at a lot of interaction design motion, that really comes into play where I think the co most common example that I always bring up is the iOS home launcher. I think mm -hmm. the one where we saw from the iPhone X or the iPhone 10, yeah. you swipe from the bottom, you know, you can you know, switch between apps. There's a lot of physics involved with that. And I think that's really helped me view things in another way. So to sum that up as a product designer, I think that when I look at my education, I'm actually glad that it wasn't so specialized because I think that an institution would not have properly taught it. I think that in the end, you learn a lot of the specializations or in that area through your actual work experience in the industry. And so to have all these exposures that are kind of like pods of inspirations or knowledge that you can draw from, I think it was super valuable for me in opening up my perspectives and actually helping me become a better designer as well. Okay. So uh like one more thing like looking at your for example daily work at in spirit mm -hmm. how much uh of that is like strictly uh things that you learned during the formal education system like how mm -hmm. much that has helped you in your daily daily tasks yeah so i think this is a little bit hard to um hard to exactly distinguish I think, mm. you know, because for me, I never learned design formally. So a lot of the craft work that I do, it's, okay. I think that it's a lot of it has been done to practice outside of school, but a lot of that work that I do, it benefits greatly from the school influences that I've had. An example that I think about is when it comes to prototyping, I think one of my strengths is prototyping interfaces mm -hmm. because I had a computer science background. I was doing a lot of front end development. So when it comes to, you know, static screens that we have, and then we have new tools like Framer, which use React to, you know, really bring those designs to life. That's something that I really, I think I have an upper, upper hand. That's something that I try to be proactive about. And so in those cases, a lot of my coding knowledge, even though I could have, let's say like self-taught it, or it's not fully from school, it kind of, you know, the background really helps with it to know, have that kind of coding base and then be able to prototype with code snippets here and there. Um, so I think it's very hard to measure in the end. I think a lot of design, I think you kind of expect that you will learn um, via practice, via company, or that's how it's been for me. But um, I think that that specific practice or even, you know, the things that you do outside of school, a lot of it still benefits from the things I learned in school. So that's why I'm not a dropout yet. <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah. I get it. So obviously, uh, your passion is, uh, or the work that you do is product design and front end development mm -hmm. and everyone, uh, is trying like to find their passion or, or yeah. to look for what they love doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, and what is it something that you actually love and is it your passion or just, uh, you said you just thought like product design, uh, I can. You know, this is the field where you can make money and, and just it was it. Yeah. So I think it's actually to answer your question, it's both. I think I'm really blessed and fortunate to be in a position where I'm doing things that I really, really enjoy. And I think, you know, I've been lucky enough to get good at it, to make money through it. And so, um, I think that's a, I think that's a very like common sentiment that I hear a lot from my friends where I think they see that I've picked something that and stuck through it from a younger age. And, you know, they often ask me, Hey, how did you find your passion in product design? How did you find your love for front end development? Like, and 
because I think they're oftentimes they're in a situation where they aren't so sure what they want to do. They're kind of in a spot where it's like, yeah, I think that's interesting, but I don't know if that'll make me money. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Or maybe they don't even know what interests them. And so this is something that I've been doing a lot of thinking about in the past of like, what happened to me that I was able to, you know, find something so early? Was it just that like, maybe, maybe the situation was I actually didn't like it. And I just did it so much that I ended up liking it. Maybe. But, um, you know, I was thinking a lot about it. And for me, it essentially comes down to why I do product design or why I do front development. And I realized that it's because I just really, really like making things. And when that, when the act of making that thing, right, just the joy and the process of creation, when it helps people, when it, you know, also makes you money and allows you to really take care of people you love, people you care about, yeah. as well as yourself, I think that that's a really, really um, great mix. And especially, I think, with tech, now we have scale, where it's like we're not just helping the people that we see in front of us or people around us, but globally. Like Pixar, it's a global product, and I think that yeah. that's been... It's been, it's been crazy to think that this is something that I just enjoy doing because I just really like making things ended up now, you know, can really help a lot of people all over the world. And so I think um, for me, the process of actually finding that was just through trying out computer science and I was just making it. And then I'm like, oh, I think, you know, maybe I don't like so much of the theory and all like the processor mm-hmm. stuff. Let's try front end development and making, I mean, you know, making a lot of interfaces through code. And I'm like, oh, wait, maybe I don't really like so much of like just making the same things that a designer gives me. I just, you know, and then, you know, it was just like a really long process of just doing something, you know, trying to like it. And I liked it some a little bit, but then there'd be another interesting thing. And so I move on to it and it's been like that. And I think product design is something that where I've just found a little bit more of a settlement for. But um, I think in the end, you know, 10 years down the road, I may not even do this product design thing. I think it essentially comes down to, I really like making things. It helps people and I can survive on it. So yeah. yeah, this is a very interesting insight. I have never like thought about it that way, but I have recently uh, read a book mm-hmm. uh, by Carl Newport. Uh, he's a computer science professor at uh, Georgetown University. You're going to Georgia, right? University, not Georgetown. Georgia. Well, I think they're okay. like pretty, pretty different, but same thing, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so uh, he wrote this book so good, they can't ignore you. And uh, he actually argues there that uh, like following your passion is a bad advice to start your career. And uh, yeah, well, he claims that uh, most people don't have it predefined and thus like they just should like choose one thing and get good at it and yeah, he claims that just getting good at something and, uh, or in other words, enjoyment comes from getting good at something, mm-hmm. like seeing a certain mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, he uses very like specific words like career capital. When you have enough career capital, then you can, then you have a certain power basically. And so, yeah, I think it's very interesting that like so many people say do what you love like follow your passion but yeah people most people like are like i don't know what my passion is so this is a very like you know controversial thing yeah there's actually two things that i kind of think about that i think um 
Yeah, you know, that's very interesting that you say it and like like the um author frames it in a very realistic way. And um and I think it's true. I think one of the things I think about is the former Manchester United soccer player, Park Ji Sung. Um, mm. In an interview, he's talked about his dreams. And because he's someone who really accomplished his dreams, right? From yeah. a small town in Korea, he went to being a you know, superstar. He talks about how, you know, sometimes I think that he thought that um, your career doesn't have to be like your number one thing that you love to do. Because especially if it doesn't make you money, then it's not going to be something that you enjoy doing or it's going to be much harder for you. But rather... I think that you, there are conditions where if you can satisfy things like you can take care of yourself and the people you love, and it also allows you to do things that you love on the side, then maybe it's sufficient. But, and so that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, my boss, Julie, the things mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, it's something that she shared with me and it kind of talks about the idea of conviction. Um, I think that, like you said, I'm in a position where I got a lot of positive feedback loop where I was, you know, I think there's also probably the part that I started young that you know, made me really enjoy what I was doing. But um, the idea is that, you know, Julie was sharing to me about the idea of conviction and how it's very hard for you to feel conviction on your first bet, right? It's like you just, you know, pick one thing and you're like, this is what I love. And it's very hard for you to stick through it like in that way. And it's often not how it works. It's often sort of like how the design process works as in you don't pick one solution and you fall in love with it and you just build it and expect this to work all the time because yeah, maybe something it does, but you know, a lot of times you want to look at other solutions. And so I think it's the same thing where I think with your career, you all, you, you, you want to try a lot of things. And once you try a lot of things, I think you can have the fullest conviction for whatever route you go. So those are just two things I've been thinking about. Yeah. So you say like also trying new things and like picking one and trying it for, I don't know, three months, right? Is a good idea or? Like I think for finding that, yeah, I think your passion I, or... Yeah, that's a great question. Your question was, what is like how... I think your question was how people might go about finding their passion. Yeah, yeah. let's how... say somebody has like, like doesn't know. And so would you say like just picking one thing and like trying it for three months and then if somebody's like, ah, it's not for me, I don't like it. And then trying another thing is like a good, good way to, to do it. I think that's certainly a method. I think one thing that like, really surprised me is sometimes the things that you enjoy doing, if it becomes a a career, if it becomes a responsibility and a job, it kind of can become a different story. An example of this with, is um, gaming, right? I love playing games. I think a lot of people enjoy playing games. Yeah. And there was a phase in my life when I was like, all right, let's take a break from this design thing. I want to really practice gaming and, you know, play a lot of tournaments and try to become really good at it. And I hated it. It was like, you know, when you play games and you enjoy it, yeah, it's fun. But then when you play games, you lose and then you have to watch the replay, do all the analysis and, you know, do all of those things, right? Then it becomes a chore. So I think that um, certainly people, I think that three months is pretty pretty good length where people can try it out. Um, it won't hurt you to lose three months in doing something new. Hopefully not too much. And um, yeah, but I think in the end, what's important is to not feel too pressured, but to go into it with a little, I, hopefully with a lighthearted, a beginner's mindset of curiosity. I think that if you're pressured where it's like, okay, I need to find something that I think it becomes a much harder thing where it's harder for you to find enjoyment in it. 
Um, I know this is like not often the case, oftentimes not the case. Sometimes, you know, you, you do have realistic constraints that really pressure you, but, um, yeah, I think it'd be great if people can try out things for a certain period of time, three months sounds yep. like a good length with curiosity. Yeah. But, uh, the, I think the education system, the formal education system, yep. like forces you to, 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 to pick something. So, because yeah. at the age of 19, you have to choose a certain, you know, specialization and then uh, learn it for, yeah, let's say three, four years. Yeah. Obviously you can change it, but most people are like, uh, I started it. So I, I guess I'll just finish the, the one. Uh, and you know, this is actually one of the biggest, I think, struggles a lot of junior designers go through, including myself. I think when you look at the school system, a lot of um, things that you do, even just the way you grow in your career or even doing homework. A lot of it kind of practices conversion thinking where, you know, you do your homework, you pick one solution, you go all into it, you'd hand it in and, you know, you get yeah. a grade for it. That's your performance. And like, you, that's how you get measured with your performance. Or like you said, with specialization, as you grow up through years, you just pick one thing or you try to focus on, you have a major and, you know, you go all in towards that. Whereas I think with design, you know, of course, certainly at the end, you kind of want to pick one solution and really engineer it because you can't just, you know, fully commit to engineering all the solutions, all the possibilities, but you want to think a little bit more divergently where it's, um, you know, you're creating a lot of solutions, possibilities, exploring them before you actually fully commit to a single solution. So that's something that I notice a lot of designers struggle with, or at least starting designers, including myself. And, um, it's certainly something that I wish we could see a change in the school system. Yeah, I hope so too. So yeah, that was a very interesting insight. Now, uh, yeah, so you are obviously a very like motivated person and I would like to ask you, how do you find that drive or the motivation daily to push through to like continue? Because obviously, uh, design or, or coding is not an easy thing uh, to do. You always face some problems. You always have to fix something. And so how do you, how do you get, like, how do you find motivation every day? Yeah, this is a really great question. Thanks for asking. I think it's a very easy response for me to say, or maybe even a lazy answer for me to be like, oh, this is my passion. This is what I really enjoy doing. So it becomes a little bit easier, which sure in some part is probably true. But of course, like a lot of other people there, you know, or a lot of other careers, there are always moments when you're, you know, really pushing it. It's three, four AM, five AM, you push an extra mile and you ask yourself, why do I even do, why do I do this? What is the reason? What is the motivation? And, um, and this is a question that, you know, maybe recently I asked <laughs> more often to myself. And I think that this is an answer I still try to, I'm still thinking about. But I think that realistically, um, there are um, about two or three things that really, really push me. I think the first thing is there is certainly responsibility. Um, when I, you know, one of my favorite, favorite like movie characters or like cartoon characters is Spider-Man um, okay. and Captain America Civil War. Have you ever watched it? Yeah, yeah, I think at some point, but I don't watch a lot of movies, but these are like the yeah. iconic ones, so yeah. Yeah, so this is um, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. This is the first introduction of Spider-Man, I believe. You know, it's um, mm -hmm. no spoilers, but Tony Stark, Iron Man, he goes to Spider-Man's house and he's in the room. He's asking Spider-Man, okay, hey kid, 
you got all these powers, you can do whatever you want, and you can have a lot of fun, right? Because, you know, he's a high school kid, Spider-Man's a high school kid, and he's being a superhero on his side job. Yeah. And Tony Stark, he asks Spider-Man, hey, why do you do this? Like, what makes you get out of bed every morning? And, you know, Peter Parker, Spider-Man, uh, Tom Holland, his response really strikes me. He says that, you know, you know, of course, he'd like, he would love to have fun and do all these things, but he looks at the world around him or his communities. And, you know, there's a lot of crimes happening, a lot of bad things that happen. And um, talks about how when he has the abilities that he's, you know, he has now at Spider-Man, when those things happen, that's on him. That's his onus. He could have stopped it from happening. And, you know, I'm just a product designer. I move around pixels. I'm not like a superhero. But I think that a lot of the sentiment is something that I deeply feel where I think that, you know, I recognize the importance and the power of design to really create a lot of human products and improve our daily lives. I think that um, I've, I was really fortunate to get a lot of coaching advice, help from a lot of senior designers. And so from, I think there's a you know, point of responsibility where I feel like, yes, like there is, I wake up because I do think that the products I make, things I work on are important and it can really benefit the people, the circles around me. So I think that's the first thing. The second thing is a little bit more realistic. I think, um, you know, right now I live pretty comfortably. Um, I order food. I just eat out a lot of times. I have a lot of yeah. people around me who are just, you know, super supportive of me. But I think that even just a couple years ago, that wasn't maybe not so much the case. I think there was definitely a time period when I looked at my bank balance and I'm like, oh shoot. Or times when I felt really lonely because people around me maybe were not so supportive and I felt very alone. And I look back to that time and I think that um, even though a lot of the situation is different now, a lot of the mentality and the mindset that I think about back then is still resonates with me in my DNA where I realize kind of um, maybe it's fear driven. Maybe I'm afraid that I'll go back to that kind of like time if I don't work hard enough. But um, mm -hmm. I think that I recognize a lot of that, you know, that um, I was very privileged, very thankful, grateful to have made it here. And um, I think it's certainly a driver to really keep pushing hard where I, you know, I want to give back to a lot of people who's helped me make them proud as well as for myself. Yeah, so as as like in uh, Carl Newport's book, you see a certain mission, right? Uh, in what you're doing, you really believe in in your products, products that you make, and yeah, the second point is like community, right? The the, the connections. Yeah. The uh, would you say that you get used to the uh, like the better life, or do you sometimes look back and like? Would you like to go through that journey one more time? So I think um, the question was about how my mindset is as in like now that I have kind of like a better life per se, where I live a much more comfortable life and I looking back, like how I feel about it, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think um, one thing I was really always been afraid is becoming complacent. I think mm. that when you're eating very delicious food every day, every night, when you have people around you who really care about you, who love you, and you can have so much fun. I think one thing I was afraid about, afraid of is like, you know, a couple of years ago, was, you know, there was a lot of desperation for results and progress. And I was very afraid that I'd become complacent and be like, yeah, I made it. Like, 
no longer do I have to work so hard or do I have to work, you know, push as hard. But um, I think that, you know, this is something I've been thinking about, but um, I think that some part of that still remains with you. I think that mentality of like always striving for more, I think um, as maybe as a designer, just naturally, I'm just not, um, um, you always try to look for improvements. You always look at your work and you get feedback and there's always space for improvement. And you're all, you know, I call it the great discontent where, you know, you're never yeah. truly happy. And so and I think that that's some, it's part of the journey that I embrace, but, you know, I think the mindset maybe, you know, even though I live more comfortably, I think it's always been very similar and aligned in that, you know, I think there's a higher standard that I can strive for and I want to get there. Yeah. I think it's great that she, like you're always pushing for more. I think everybody has that to some extent because like, um, at the age of, for example, 16, I was thinking if I were this and that at the age of 19, it would be like, uh, you know, great. And I would be happy, but, uh, I'm here at the age of 19 and like, like if that was it, like what's next, I'm 19 and like, this is the end. You, you always need to find something, something new. And I think for us, I think, yeah, right. That, that comes like naturally, not yeah. I can spoil today. <laughs> yeah, but I think that's, that's important. So, yeah. uh, okay. So as you have heard, Jay is a very, very, uh, qualified and motivated, uh, person. Mm -hmm. And last uh, question for today's podcast is some kind of advice for young people uh, that are that want to get into tech uh, design code. Would you say uh, college and like the formal education system is enough? Because mm -hmm. I think many people are in the mindset of, yeah, I'll just go to college. They will teach me everything and mm -hmm. I'll just then capitalize uh, on that because maybe oftentimes their parents tell them that there is money in the industry and they right. force them uh, to go to, yeah, technical colleges. And so what is your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks for asking. I think this is also a question I often ask to people I look up to and, um, and seek advice for, because I think that, um, you know, there's always room to grow and, and um, I think one conclusion that I've kind of come across to this is um, through um, asking a lot of senior members about, hey, do you have any advice for me or do you have any advice for my friend who's just trying to get into these things, is that um, it really depends on the context. And I think this is an answer that everybody hates when, when you know, <laughs> when you're like, yeah. you ask a question and you're like, yeah, it depends. And you're like, dude, but like for my context, you know, and so, yeah. um, and so I think that, um, and I, so just as a disclaimer, I think that whatever response I give is just naturally biased because it's going to depend on my experience, the things that work for me, which may not work for someone else. And it's especially might not work for someone else who did not go through the same kind of like background as me, right? As in, if you're living in Europe versus the United States or in Asia, that's a very mm -hmm. different story. And I think that I was also in a very privileged position to start off with. So then, um, so that might differ, but I think that there are two things I really, really wish um or look towards and rely on in terms of the things i've learned and i think that is you know something that i wish other people a lot of starting people will look towards and embrace and hopefully they've already done it the first thing i think is 
regardless of the decisions that you're making, right? As in, you know, you can go to college, you can do this or that. I think one thing that I really look, um, really, really respect is self-reflection or self-awareness. I think when you, um, regardless of what decision you made, if you're, you know, always thinking about, okay, like, how did I do? And you're evaluating that no matter where you start, eventually you're going to converge into the right direction and the right path. Um, this is something that I think relates a lot with the growth mindset where you kind of do something, um, it's based on your best bet and you look towards the past and you think about, okay, what can I, like, what are the things I could learn from here and what are the actionables I can take towards the future? And I think with that, like you can really, really get far as in, you know, you might go to college because your parents forced you and then you look back and you're like, okay, how did I do? Okay. Like I did not like it. My parents, like they pushed me towards it. Next time, let's make sure that when I make decisions, I can be objective about it and not biased because my parents told me to do that. The second thing I really, really think is really important is, you know, self-awareness does wonders, but it doesn't mean anything if you don't really act on it. And so I think the second thing is being proactive about it. I think there's two ways to go about it. You can be either proactive or reactive. I think reactive is when you you know, you're forced to make the change because someone's telling you or because if you don't do it, you start. Um, but I think when you're proactive about it, you, you know, you're thinking about the decisions that you made, the things that you could have done better. You look at your strengths and weaknesses and you act on it. So for your strengths, you can be proactive about it in selling yourself, in um, presenting yourself, increasing their strengths so that you're more valuable as an individual contributor or as like a um, designer developer about your weaknesses, you can be, you know, you can be reflective and proactive about it so that you take those weaknesses and you work on it so that when a company tries to hire you, you're not, you know, you're not as flawed in those areas. And I think that those two traits are, I think, oftentimes what people look for when you're trying to get into the industry, because they understand that it's like a lot of schools don't teach you properly yeah. and that they don't expect you to come with everything. But what they do expect or what they do really hope for is that you come with those two traits where I think. Um, if you have those two, then you can really learn things quickly and, you know, really, really excel. So to sum it up, I think, um, depending on the context situation, it really, really depends on the specific types of like, Hey, do I go to college or not? And all those things, but I really, really, um, encourage everyone who's listening to your, if they already haven't embraced it to really embrace being self-aware, self-reflective, as well as being proactive about it. Okay, I think that's great advice. And so, yeah, this is the end of the podcast. Uh, thanks once again for being here. I think that's a very, yeah, brings a lot of value to, to especially young people that want to get into tech industry, uh, want to, you know, develop in the field. And so, yeah, thanks for coming. And, uh, yeah, I, we have a design community actually, uh, for young designers. I think you can still join it, right? The untitled. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, we need to we need to be more active there, but we will. So. Yeah. 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 yeah what's, untitled. what's the link? Untitled Untitledpeople.com. Okay, untitledpeople.com, right? Yeah, and um, it's kind of like a wordplay on entitled, but the idea is that um, just as a quick shout, the idea is that a lot of us young designers, creators, developers are. Kind of like when you open like a blank document, right? It's like it's like a blank canvas. There's a whole world of potential and possibilities where we, you know, want to write into that document and we can create anything of value. 
I think that's a lot kind of relates to um, who we are as in we're really young. There's a lot of, there's a lot of exciting agenda for us in the future. And hopefully we're not entitled about it. So untitled, like (laughs) the contrast there. And um, yeah, I think that was, thanks for the shout and um, thanks for having me here. That was, it was a great pleasure to be here to talk about design and everything else. Yeah. Thank you once again. And I'll see you in the next podcast. Peace out everyone.